Well, happy Easter, everybody, and welcome to Grace this weekend. It is a blast to be to, uh, together. Thanks for coming out and celebrating Easter uh, together with us, and uh, we're thrilled to, to be here. I love Easter, of course. It is, uh, to me, the greatest holiday. When you look at uh, the Christian faith, when you look at what it means to know and follow and love Jesus, uh, the Christian faith is unique in that it's actually centered around an event more than a theology or a thought system, even more than a book. Uh, everything that we look at as Christians goes back to the event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's because of what Jesus taught and what he predicted and then what he did that we would then kind of backtrack and say, well, now we believe everything that he says about the Bible and everything that he says about himself. He solidified who he was and what he was when he laid his life down and when by his own power he raised again from the dead. So Easter is kind of it for us, right? Easter is the center point of everything. Easter is why we believe Jesus is God. It's why we believe in the scriptures. It's why we practice what we practice. And it's the, it's the focal point of our hope and our truth and life itself. So what a, what a great celebration that Easter is and what a great thing to celebrate and be excited about Christ's victory over sin and Death And I love that of Easter. I love the celebration of Easter. I love the fun of Easter. I, I love the, the joy of it. And it's always interesting to me when we, when we start thinking about Easter in those terms, in the, in the wonder and in the awesomeness of Christ rising again from the dead, uh, you, you have to remember that what makes that so great is the reason that Jesus had to die, right? So you almost have to reverse engineer it again if you don't understand the reason that Christ had to die, then we don't celebrate his resurrection in the magnitude that, that we should celebrate it. So Christ comes to earth, he steps out of heaven, he lives on earth, lives an innocent life, a perfect life, dies an innocent death, suffers, and we've focused on that a lot this, this week. He, his passion, his suffering, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, well, all of that took place so that you and I could embrace life, right? What makes Easter so amazing and so full, full of joy is that we no longer have to be trapped in our sin. We're no longer kind of sentenced to death spiritually. What gives us hope is that Christ loves us, he came for us, and he actually has the power to pull off the forgiveness of sin that he claimed that he, he did. It's fascinating what the Apostle Paul says in, in the book of uh, Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. I put this in your notes, by the way. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses, but God made you alive together with him, having forgiving, forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The reason that Jesus had to die is what makes the, the joy of him rising again such a, a big deal. And the Bible said he had to die because of you and I, because we're sinners. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Another part of the Bible says uh, the wages of sin, wages is what you get for what, what you earn for what you did. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of of God. So this sin thing is, is a big deal. Christ knew that we were trapped in it. We were dead in our sins. 
He came, he died, and I love that phrase, he nailed those sins to the cross. He paid that debt. He paid a debt he didn't owe for those of us who owe a debt that we could not pay. That is the wonder and the awesomeness and kind of the mind-boggling feature of the resurrection, that Christ was willing to suffer, that he was willing to die, that he was willing to lay his life down to pay the wages of our sin and to pay the debt that we owed. He satisfied the legal demands or he justified us, right? And we can now interact with God and we can have the hope of heaven and the power of the resurrection and all those things can happen to us in real time. So the truth of Easter, that God loves me and that there is hope and there's power and God can change me, really comes alive when you put it against kind of the reality of Easter that Christ needed to do that in order for you and I to have the hope of being made alive in him. So when you celebrate Easter, it's kind of this two-dimensional thing, right? It's, it's the joy of the resurrection uh, of Christ from the dead, and it's also the realization that I need a resurrection, right? That, that Christ is who he says he is, he did what he said he could do, and he offers forgiveness for me. That's one dimension of Easter. And then the other dimension of Easter is, well, I'm dead in my sins and trespasses, and I need what Christ had to offer. Uh, he came and did that for a reason, and that reason is something that I need to embrace and I need to lock onto. And when we start thinking about our lives, and we think about where we're at spiritually, and we think about where we're at in our relationships, and we think about where we're at in the circumstances of our lives, the reality of those things is what makes Easter such a joy and such a powerful thing. And what I wanna talk with us about this weekend is how, how do we access that, right? How do we access the power of the resurrection in our lives? How do we do that spiritually? How do we do that relationally? How do we do that in the circumstances? How do we bring Easter kind of into real time into our lives and understand and partake of all that God did for us? Now, I want to do this kind of in a, in a different way. I, I want to talk to you or show you how to do this by looking at the second most famous resurrection in the Bible. There's more than one resurrection in the Bible. And so the most famous one by far is Christ's resurrection. I want to look at the second most famous resurrection, and I want to look at the resurrection that, that Jesus participated in, but wasn't the focal point of, and I want to look at the resurrection of Lazarus, all right? So let's look at this together. Grab your Bibles if you got them, and go to the book of John chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 748, and those Bibles, it's in the second part of the Bible, John chapter 11, and if you want to use the app, you can open up the Grace Church app. If you don't have it, you can go out to the App Store or the Google Store, and you can grab it for free real quick. John chapter 11, and this is the resurrection of Lazarus, and let's watch Jesus interact with this and see kind of how Lazarus' resurrection happened, and through it, it's going to teach us how we can embrace the power of Christ's resurrection in our own lives. So let me show you this. Let me read you the story real quick, and then we'll go back and kind of pick it apart. Verse 1, chapter 11, the book of John. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. This was the Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick. This was the one who poured perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped it with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, 
the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come to the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly, quickly and went to him. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus saw her, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of those standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. It's a huge story, a powerful story, a famous one, right? This is, this is the, the story that's told all the time. It's the Phoenix Rising kind of a story. And football coaches tell their players this when they're trying to rebuild the team. We tell this story. David Bowie's last song was called Lazarus. Like, it's a famous, famous resurrection where Jesus is involved and he's breathing life into something that was dead. I think as we go through this, we can look and say, this is how we can access the power of Christ's resurrection in our own life. And we can see God change us and move us, take us from something that is dead into something that is alive. So let's talk about this a little bit. How do you do this? How do you access the power of the resurrection? And how does this play out in our life in real time? I put this in your notes. If you're going to access the power of the resurrection, have it play out in your life in real time, in order to be resurrected, you first have to die, right? Only dead things can be resurrected. I know that's a deep point that's probably life-changing, but I just want to make sure that we have this down. 
In order to be resurrected, you have to have died. It's interesting, in verse 14, even Jesus had to say this plainly to his disciples. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Because one of the hardest things to grab hold of spiritually is the idea that I am dead spiritually. That's what the Bible tells me. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that I am dead in my trespasses and sins. The Bible says that I have nothing to offer God. My righteousness is like filthy rags. It's another way that the Bible says it. One of the biggest problems or struggles that we have in our culture is admitting that I'm a sinner, admitting that I'm spiritually dead, because I don't think of myself that way, do you? I, I think of other people as the sinners. I think of that guy on TV, or that, that person who does those things, or my ex-wife, or people who cheer for Michigan. I think of people like that, right, who are sinners. I don't think of myself as a sinner. I think of myself as a good person, I think of myself as a well-intentioned person. Uh, I, I always will, when I mess up, I look back and I always think, well, if I could do that again, I would do it this way instead. But one of the most important things to grab hold of, if I'm gonna have Christ move me from spiritual death to spiritual life, I have to lock into the idea that I am spiritually dead and I actually need a resurrection. You guys ever uh, come to a point in your life where you say, I got nothing? I got nothing? I was, I was driving down Route 18 yesterday, and I got pulled over by our friendly neighborhood highway patrol officer, and uh, he pulled me over, and he's like, Are you, did you know you were speeding? I was like, I didn't know I was speeding. He goes, is there a reason why you were speeding? And I looked at him, and I said, I got nothing. I got nothing. I just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I got nothing, right? By the way, he gave me a warning. Heidi's bitter about it, but that's a marriage issue, really. We're working on that, right? <laughs> You ever come to that point where you just look and say, I got nothing? I remember years and years and years ago, uh, my family was going on a vacation, and uh, we were going down to the Smoky Mountains. I was still a kid living at home as a teenager. We were going down to the Smoky Mountains, and um, it was myself, my brother, another family friend, and then my sister and brother-in-law were all in this van together, and my sister and brother-in-law had just got married, Right? And so we're driving, you ever been around like newly married people and how like ooshy, gooshy, like vomity they kind of are, right? And so we're stuck in this van and we're driving from our, our house down the Smoky Mountains and they're talking, they're in the back row, we're trying to ignore them, try not to be nauseous and they're talking and somehow the, the, the topic of bears came up that in the Smoky Mountains maybe we'll see a bear, maybe we'll see a bear. Well, my brother-in-law just lit up about this. And he goes, bears, bears. He's like, I was in the military in Alaska, and they taught us how to survive a bear attack. I know all about bears. Well, my sister was like, oh, Brian, you're amazing. You're so incredible. You're, you're. And my brother-in-law and I, my, we were just trying not to vomit. And so, that, so this went on for hours, hours. And so my brother and I, he, we're a lot of like kind of a little bit smart alecky. And so we said, uh, so Brian, how do you survive a bear attack? Oh, Brian, tell me. And he said, well, this is what you do. This is what you do. He said, if a bear attacks you, you let it attack you, you let it throw you to the ground, it will drag you off, it will bury you, 
and once you're buried, you escape. And I, I was like, that sounds like a government-issued plan, right? Right there. Like, don't you have a gun? You're in the military. Shoot something. Like, that's what you do. And so my sister was like, were you ever mauled by a bear? And we're like, yeah, in the head. And so it was on and on and on. So we get all the way down there, and we set up camp, and, and we set up the tents and set up the trailers, and, and they're going on and on and on. My brother and I are just sick of the whole thing, right? And this is back before there were cell phones, and my brother-in-law wanted to go check on his mom. So he and my sister walked down this path to a payphone to, to make a phone call to check on his mom. So as they're walking away, my brother looks at me and goes, hey, you want to do something? I was, like, I was like, I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm in, right? I, I, I still want to do something. He goes, he goes that, that path they take goes right through the woods. He goes, let's go into the woods and act like we're bears and see what happens. I'm like, oh, you are genius, right? So we go into the woods. They go down. It's dark. They're coming back. They got these flashlights, and they're talking and going on, and you kind of hear them coming, and they get close, and my brother looks at me, and he goes, go, like that. So I went moving through the woods. It was the fall, so all the leaves are down. So I went moving through the woods. They stop. You see their lights. Like, they stop. And my sister goes, what was that? Right? And my brother-in-law goes, oh, it was probably a squirrel. And so he's shooting the flashlights over and nothing. So my brother moves, and my sister goes, that doesn't sound like a squirrel. And my, my brother-in-law shows the light, and he's like, it's probably a deer. It's a deer. I killed one with my bare hands once. Ate its liver, you know, kind of thing. On and on and on. And so I move again, and she's like, I don't think it's a deer. It sounds big. Oh, it's, it's probably, it's two deers and a squirrel, right, kind of thing. <laughs> then my brother took off. Now, my brother, when he tells this story, he'll lie about it. What he'll say is he found a tree and pushed it over. The reality is he ran into a tree in the dark and knocked it over, right? <laughs> so he, he's running through the woods. He hits this tree smack. The tree falls in the woods, and my sister goes, it's a bear, like that. <laughs> my brother-in-law took off running, like a little, little girl took off running. He ran all the way around the campground, gets back to the campfire, and he walks in, he's huffing and puffing, and he goes, there's a bear, there's a bear's out there, there's that. And my dad looked at him, and he goes, son, where's my daughter, like that. <laughs> She had laid down in the road, was waiting to be mauled by a bear, <laughs> where she was, right? <laughs> so we, that happened 30 years ago, and we will harass my brother-in-law. He's probably watching on a live stream right now. Hey, Bri, how you doing? Right, so he, we harass him. Well, every time we do it, he, people are like, does he get mad? Does he get, I'm like, no, because he got nothing. He got nothing, right? It's just the fact of the matter this is the reality of what happened, so we tease him about it. Listen, you got nothing. You got nothing spiritually. Me either. I am dead in my trespasses and sin. I am separated from God. I have earned. I'm a sinner. You ever lied? You ever had a lustful thought? You ever been selfish? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I got nothing. And the first step to receiving a resurrection is to be dead. To, to look and say, God, I got nothing. I got, I got nothing to save this marriage. God, I've tried it five different ways. I've tried to change him since the day I met him. I got nothing. 
I got nothing to restore these, my relationship with my kids. I got nothing. I did mess up, and they are right. I got nothing. I, I got nothing. I, I've tried to do life my own way. I've, tried, I've got nothing. And spiritually, I got nothing. Going to church, being religious, writing a check, doesn't mean a thing. It's filthy rags. I got nothing. I need a resurrection. Lazarus is dead right? And we start, our path to becoming alive is admitting first that we're dead, and we need the salvation that's offered, the salvation that's proven, the salvation that was bought and paid for on the cross and then proven through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If I'm going to be resurrected, I first have to die. Here's the second thing. In order to embrace a resurrection and have God's power work in my life, I have to allow Christ to be Lord. I have to allow Christ to be Lord. Let me show you this and then we'll explain it a little bit. Look back at the story in John chapter 11. It's fascinating. Jesus gets this word. Now, these are like his good friends, right? Gets his word that Lazarus is, is sick. And what's he do? Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said this, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, right? He loved them. Look at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there for two more days. You go on in the story, if you look over at verse 14 and verse 15. So he told them plainly that Lazarus is dead. Verse 15, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Go all the way to verse 41. So they, they took the stone away. Jesus looked up. He prays, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of those standing here, that they may believe in you who sent me. This is what I found. I found that when I am ready for a resurrection, most of the time I want it to happen on my terms. But God's plan and God's time and God's purpose are almost never aligned with me. God is doing something bigger. He is doing something greater. I'm a part of it. Can he resurrect me? Yep. Should I die to myself? Absolutely. But the part of the process that comes in play there is I am humbling myself before God and saying, God, you are God and I am not. I exist for you. You do not exist for me. Christ, you are Lord, and I surrender to you, and I humble myself to you in your time and in your plan and in your reason. Now listen, 99% of the time, that's not going to look like something we want. And when you look at the scriptures, the scriptures are full of God doing things that don't make sense to you and me on the surface. They sound weird, and they feel weird, but they always play out in this bigger way and bigger reason. You think about Easter itself. Easter on the surface sounds like a horrible plan, doesn't it? Can you imagine the meeting for Easter? Get together, okay, here's a plan. Here's a plan. Uh, you're gonna suffer. You're gonna be beaten, crucified, and then Jesus dies, and then we win. Go team. It's a, that's a really bad plan. Like, that's not the plan I would want. Daniel, you're gonna go to the lion's den, and you're gonna spend the night and then we're gonna have a revival in a country. Go team, right? Joseph, a step one, 
uh, you're going to be sold into slavery, and uh, you're going you're gonna to then be imprisoned and forgotten about, and then you're going to save a country. Go team. Hey, you know what? Your life is going to blow up, and you're going to lose everything, and you're going to be broken, and I'm going to resurrect you, and your pain is going to become your credibility. Go team. You're going you're to be called to do something you thought you would never do. And you're going to be the plan. And it's going to require that you sell everything you have and give it away. And you're going to move to some part of the world and go team. You're going you're gonna to take everything that you, all your ego, all your pride, all your dreams, everything you ever wanted. And you're going to offer them to God as a living sacrifice. Go team, right? When I'm dead, dead things don't qualify their resurrection. Dead things don't barter with God. And a huge part of me being brought alive spiritually is looking and saying, Christ, you are God and I am not. And who you are and what you want to do and what you need to do in my life, I want that to happen because not only do I want to be raised again from the dead spiritually, I want to serve you. I want to live for you. I want to journey with you. And whatever path you take me down, the answer is yes. You don't have to ask twice. Mary, Martha, if you would have just done this and this, Jesus, there's a bigger picture, guys, than that. If you would have just hurried up, yeah, let's hang out for a couple days. God is at work in your life. That's part of why you are at the place in your life that you're at. Because we don't tend to invite God into our lives when things are cruising. It's usually when things are crashing. But it's at that point, when I'm dead, and I admit it, and I know it, that I'm ready for a resurrection. Here's the third thing. To engage a resurrection, I got to admit I'm dead, to engage a resurrection, I gotta allow Christ to be Christ. Here's the third one. To engage a resurrection, I have to roll the stone away. Look at this, verse 38, 39. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone that laid across the entrance. Take the stone away. It's fascinating, the, the hesitation. But Lord, remember, I've been asking God, show up, do something powerful. If you would have been here, now he's here. Now God says, do something, I hesitate. Take the sin away. But Lord, wait, wait, you don't understand. Somehow, God, you didn't get this one, Martha said. The time, by this time, there's a bad odor for he's been in there for four days. If I'm going to be a part of the resurrection, then I have to allow the stone to be rolled away. Now, let me just draw an application point out of this. I, I have this image in my mind of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, but the stone's still there. You ever think about that? Like, it, it, it's fascinating that Jesus is like, get the stone out of the way, and then I'll do the resurrection. Can you imagine if he did the resurrection, the stone was still there? Right? Lazarus! Yes! <laughs> Come forth! There's a two-ton boulder in my way. <laughs> right? Right? 
the stones, I'm dead, I'm allowing God to be God, but then God's gonna bring issues up in your life that have to be pushed away. Here's the application point. Hebrews, I put this in your note, 12, one and two. The writer says this, let us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance in sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. The writer of Hebrews, God is saying, listen, I, I'm, I'm resurrected, I've come to life, right? I, 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 I'm letting God be God, but I, I need to set aside the encumbrances of my life. I need to throw off the sin of my life. I need to push the stones out of my life so I can embrace the Savior who just resurrected me. I need to get rid of the stones of willful sin, for instance. Do you know you need a Savior? Yep. Will you let God be God? Yeah, I'm willing. Will you abandon this addiction? Oh, no, I'm not doing that. Will you change this part of, of your morality, your sexuality? Oh, I'm not doing that. I mean, come on, let's not get carried away. Will you yield these material things? I'm not doing that. We need to abandon the stones of willful sin. We need to roll the stone of independence away. Uh, I would like to choose resurrection, and then I would like to choose a God who loves me, a God who makes my life happy, and a God who makes my dreams come true. I'm building my own God. That's, a, that's an independent mindset. God is what I think he is, instead of God being who he says that he is. The stones of pain, the stone of doubt, the stone of procrastination, the stone of distraction, the stone of spirituality. I'm dead, I'm coming to life. God is who he is. He's not there to just make me a, a healthy person. It's not something that I'll get around to once I've kind of had my fun. I'm pushing away the things that distract me from running into Jesus' arms. And I'm throwing away the sin that so easily entangles. That big boulder was probably, I don't know, two feet thick. And my greatest fear is I think many of us are, are an arm's length from Jesus. But the thing that blocks us is the stuff that we want to be there. The whole idea of eternal life sounds fantastic. The whole idea that God can help me and change me sounds very amazing. That God is God, okay, I'll worship Jesus. I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Hindu, I'm not a Buddhist, but I don't wanna give up this, see? And I'm never gonna fully embrace a resurrection. The power of it's never gonna play out in my life until the stones are rolled away. Here's the last thing. To lock into a resurrection, I gotta respond to Jesus' calling. Respond to Jesus' calling, look at this. They took the stone away, Jesus prayed. Father, I say this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out. Now let me ask you this question, ready? When Jesus resurrected Lazarus, do you think he healed him completely? Did, did he just like pump a little life into him? Like kind of get him ticking again? Or did, or did he heal him? Right? So w was Jesus like, Lazarus, 
come out. Here I am. Are you still sick? Well, I'm feeling a little better. I don't know how long this resurrection's gonna hold. <laughs> or, do you, or do you think whatever caused Lazarus to die was healed in him? Guys, listen. When we embrace the calling of Jesus, I love what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things pass away. Behold, the new things have come. When you embrace the resurrection, when you look and say, I am dead, and now I am alive, and I add to that, Christ, you be who you are. I exist for you, you do not exist for me. And if you say remove this stone or remove that stone, I will throw off the things that entangle and the things that so easily encumber me because I am a new creation. See, Here's the power of the resurrection. That's what I want you to get. Ready? Listen. Do you know why we celebrate Easter? Do you know, do you know why Jesus' resurrection? It's because God can change you. You have to hear this. Listen to me. You don't have to live in sin. You don't have to live in doubt. You don't have to live in insecurity. You don't have to live in temporal things. You, you don't have to live with addictions and habits. You don't have to live with a bad relationship because God can change you. If Jesus can raise again from the dead, he can fix your relationship. If Jesus can raise again from the dead, he can root out the sin that's destroying your life. If Jesus can raise again from the dead, he can fill in the missing pieces that give you life and meaning and purpose that you've been trying to stuff with worldly things that just leave you more broken and more empty and more alone. Christ can change you. And when Lazarus came out of that tomb, he came out of that tomb a healed man, a changed man. When God resurrects you, he can and will resurrect you completely. You are something new. Your relationship, you can look and say, my marriage is dead. No such thing with a God who raises from the dead. There's no such thing as a dead marriage. Because God's the res God of the resurrection is what he does. He calls things out of the grave. But Lord, it stinks. Yeah, it does. But I'm going to heal it completely. There's no such thing as, as brokenness. If you knew my past, if you knew what I did, God doesn't forgive you a little bit. He doesn't forgive you just enough so you can skate into heaven on the skin of your teeth. God removes your past, changes it, forgets it, the Bible says, and makes you a new creation. The resurrection's about the future. It's not about the past. The cross paid for it. Your sins were nailed to it, and they're still there. They're forgotten. They're thrown. They're covered. The legal debt has been satisfied. And that power is available to us. Not so that we can get whatever we want or so God can make us rich. I'm not talking about TV nonsense. I'm talking about the power to know and to follow and to interact with our creator and our God. And when Lazarus came out, 
He came out healed. He came out changed. Now we would look at Easter and say that the reason that we believe all of that, the reason that we believe that the story about Lazarus is true is because Jesus resurrected himself. The reason that we believe what the scripture says is because we saw the power of God play out in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. It happened, it's a proven fact. There were only over 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus die and then saw him after he rose again from the dead. You could take their accounts and you could make a legal case and you could go to court today and you would win that court case. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. And he loves you. He's not out to get you. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus himself said that. He's not out to fry you. He's not out to your past catch up with you. He's not out to nail you. He's not out to punish you for not being religious enough. He's out to invite you to know him, to love him. And the reason we celebrate Easter is because I'm a sinner and I desperately needed a savior because I'm dead and dead things can't save themselves. So one came, Jesus Christ, and he lived for me and he died for me and he says about himself, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody goes to heaven unless they go through me. And he made what the Bible calls a way of escape. He brings us from death to life, spiritually. He brings the aspects of our life from death to life. There's no such thing as a dead relationship, a dead friendship, a dead interaction with your kids, a dead marriage. Not with Christ. There's no such thing as hopelessness. There's no such thing as defeat. Not in Christ. The path is gonna be the path he takes. It's gonna look funny because most of his plans do, but in the end, man, in the end, the glory of God, see, is on display. So Easter, see, that's a big deal, and it's available to you and to me. Now, let me ask you a couple questions. Let me give you a couple things to kind of hang this on, all right? Here's the first one. Do you believe in the power of resurrection for salvation? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've stood before God and said, I got nothing. I got nothing. My, my religiousness, my spirituality, my enlightenment, I got nothing. I am spiritually dead. Have you ever done that? And then on your own, by yourself, not, cut, not your folks doing it for you or growing up in a religious family or something like that, but where you personally decided, I got nothing and I accept Christ's offer of salvation, offered through the cross, proven through the resurrection. Have you ever asked Christ to forgive you of your sin? Have you ever looked and said, your plan is the plan? Have you ever said, God, I wanna roll the stones away? change me. 
And if you've never done that, I encourage you and invite you to do that right now. There is no magic words. There's no secret prayer. You're not joining Grace Church. But from your heart to God's heart, Jesus, I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. Will you forgive me and change me? I encourage you to pray that even tonight. Here's the second question. Have you ever asked God to change you? You know, one of the reasons why we're spiritual people, why we would come to church on Easter weekend and like prioritize that is because we know we, know we need the help. And so oftentimes when we look at God, we, we, we look at our lives and we think that often in our lives there's like reoccurring frustrations, right? In church and interacting with God is, is oftentimes the last effort to deal with that reoccurring frustration. Have you ever asked God to resurrect that in your life? God, there was a point that we loved each other and now I'm not sure we do. Would you resurrect our love? God, there was a point in my life that I had hope and somehow I've lost it. I get every material thing in the world, but I have no joy. Would you resurrect that in my life? God, there was a point in my life that I had compassion, but, but I, circumstances happen and I've become embittered. Would you resurrect that in my life? God, there's a point in my life that I had faith, but the circumstances of my life didn't really play out the way that I wanted them to. Would you resurrect that in my life? You ever ask God to change you? I encourage you to pray that prayer. The Bible says that when we lack wisdom or when we're not sure what to do, we should ask God. Now, listen to what it says. Who gives generously without finding fault. God doesn't get upset when we lose our way. He gets upset when we decide to stay away. But the invitation to come home is always there. And maybe this Easter you need to go home. Allow God to resurrect those parts of your life, right? And to go home to the Savior who loves you, who knows you, who lived for you, who died for you, and who rose again. All right. I'm going to ask the band to come out, and as they do, I'm going to pray. And maybe we can just bow our heads and close our eyes for a minute. And as they lead us in some time of focus, you can pray and ask God's salvation, ask for his help, or maybe just praise him for the wonder and the power of Easter. Jesus, we love you, and thank you for your unimaginable love for us, that you would step out of heaven, you would come to earth, you would live, suffer, die for us. Christ, that you would do that willingly, purposely, is mind-boggling. So we celebrate that. We celebrate that you are who you say you are. And we celebrate that you went to such great extents to reach us, to make a way of escape. So work in our hearts and our minds even now. Lead us to where you'd have us to be. We love you, Jesus, in your name.